Um, you could turn with me to 1 Timothy 3 for a scripture reading this morning. There's this moment where um, God seems to slow things down, and we're mindful of the fact that we're not just a group of individuals that have come into a room today to do something, but we are a group of people that have been redeemed by Jesus and that he has brought together. So you're probably wondering why I called this meeting, all right? You ever said that before? It's a good thing to say if you're in an awkward moment at a place. Uh, my friend uh, Jake, when we started the church, that was one of his favorite jokes. Anytime we were in a group of people and he didn't know what to say, he would say, so you're probably wondering why I called this meeting. Last night we had we were the guests with the Gibbies at a, um, a gala for Beacon of Hope at the Avalon. It was a really nice place and often feel... I'm out of place. I'm at a formal event, and it was the hardest thing for me not to hold back and just say, so you're probably wondering why I called this meeting, all right? So it's a pro-level dad joke, all right? And um, if it makes things better or more awkward, but that's what we're trying to accomplish, right? So you're probably wondering why I called this meeting, and, um, but you know, the fact of the matter is, um, I didn't call this meeting. This meeting right here was called by Jesus to meet today, and I love that. And that's what makes it so special uh, for us to gather together. I'm going to reminisce a little bit here for a second with some, some pictures. Uh, we have so many pictures. We didn't in the early years of the church, but then everybody got smartphones, and now we're all photographers. And so the amount of pictures that are produced are probably more pictures produced today than the first five years um, of our church. And uh, there's no real rhyme or reason. These are just some pictures that uh, we're going to have a slideshow uh, during lunch and afterwards. Before you came in, you saw some of them. Uh, but these are just a few that um, I, I collected that I wanted to share with you uh, today. Uh, some I go looking for. This is the first one there, Thatcher, if you'll put it up. I always want um, to go see the first room that we met in. That we, there's no pictures of us meeting in the, in the Pearson's basement up in the northern part of the county. But this is the first one that we had where the charter was signed and in those um, early days. And then I always want to see the next picture here. This is Miguel uh, being baptized. First uh, teenager that I met in the town before we even, uh, the church was started. And you know the day he's in Columbia and getting to see Michael Shane. And then Catherine on the phones, all right? And um, Catherine, we called, I think, like 50,000 people when we got here. How many? 80. 80, even better story, all right? And you say us preachers exaggerate, all right? All right. 80 something thousand people, and we just said, hey, we're here in the city to share Jesus with you. We made tons of calls, and then the Pearson sisters are singing. Uh, Jesus and Kristen on the piano are two consistent things we've had um, in this church all those years. And so I always go look for those uh, pictures. But then there were some that surprised me. Like, uh, for example, I see Lauren uh, Carpenter as she is there in the very first service, and I'd forgotten that. How old were you, Lauren? 17 years ago. You were 10? 10 years of age, and now she's the mother of three, almost four, and administrative pastor's wife. And then another big boa, I didn't realize, um, I forgot about the green room we're in. Now, this next one will really surprise you. This is Thatcher and Greg together, all right? And... uh, I'm so happy Lamar and Latasha are here with us today. But this must have been like right before Greg hit his growth spurt because he didn't look, I don't remember him looking like a kid because he hit like six foot. Like he gave me, when sixth grade, he gave me his shoes that he had outgrown uh, one time. And so this is right before he became uh, grown. And um, I was really shocked uh, by that when I find it as funny as that. Here's Luke holding Salem. And um, I said we're going to reenact some of these pictures today, but I don't think Salem uh, would like that one. I was, 
I was struck by that one. And then there's some that I just love. They bring, this is us teenagers meeting at the hub at the, uh, in the basement there, studying the Bible and expound. Um, then a Bible study that's been going on for almost the 17 years, maybe 14 years on Monday night. It's what started out um, at the Little Fields and now it's at the Mises and moved its way over to the Malcolm Sum. But it continues meeting and I'm so grateful for it. It's been a help to our young men. Uh, so many... Um, here, we were praying over Jake Cherry as he was headed off to the, to the military. I know the Cherries are here. Where are you at, Cherries? I want to see you back there. All right, in your spot with Lamar and Latasha back there. I forgot we had prayed over him before he left. Such a special moment, and I'm grateful for the reminding. And then next picture here. Um, this is before we moved to this building. We were not even on our par- property, okay? I remember we, we couldn't meet on this property. We was right off the side of it looking in where the property is going to, uh, to be and the groundbreaking. And then a lot of weddings we've had. We've had a lot of wedding cakes together. Here's Nate getting his hair combed by his mom uh, before, <laughs> before the wedding. And then not, new weddings. And then we, with the Fricks, we celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary just a few years ago. And here, and a lot of things just... So very grateful for, and some hard times we've had as a church, all right? Like uh, our men's softball team, all right, that only wins if the other team forfeits, but we just keep showing up. So we've been through great times together, and then this happened, all right? And then some things are just kind of a, a glimpse of the future. Um, oh, or then some things stay consistent as well. He's not on the so- That's not from softball. That's just from Micah working all the time. Things that make me grateful. People like this is always serving in the way that what they do. Next picture here is a Renew that we gave, made mention of. That's something over the last year that's formed um, in our church. It's such a blessing that's happening. And then this picture is like, give me a glimpse of the future. Uh, Lauren's daughter, Winter Rose here, and she was 10 years old when the church started. Winter is not 10, but she's headed there uh, very uh, quickly. And then this last picture, which I took this morning. No, I didn't. This, this is a few weeks ago. And um, it's just us gathered together. Some of you younger people and some of you older ones that are, are hip and you stay up to the current trends, there was a video that went around not long ago where this young man, he kept eating corn and he just kept saying, can you imagine a more beautiful thing? You know what I'm talking about, Luke? Can you imagine a more beautiful thing? And when I see this picture, I just think, can you imagine a more beautiful thing than God's people assembled to worship and sing about a good and gracious king? And I just love it. This morning, um, Brady called me from Turkey, shared with me about a man who gathered the day um, for their service because they gather on the first day of the week to worship Jesus as we do. And Dustin was supposed to preach, but Dustin got sick and some things got moved around. And he just said, I just decided to tell why I love Jesus today. And a man who was a Muslim now belongs to Jesus. And he shared that with me today. I'm so very grateful for it. So today I want to share with you we have a special in a moment, just why this meeting that we have weekly is so very important. Who called this meeting? Why was this meeting called? And the answer was by Jesus, and it was so that he would be worshipped and known. If you look up online, why would people go to church and what were reasons for it, you're going to get some. Some will come out of duty. They assume that God, they'll get on God's good side if they show up enough, if they check in. Um, and then others come with socialize or teach their kids morality. Some crave an emotional high to help carry them through the week. Some seek intellectual stimulation or ethical instruction. Um, some of you, very few of you, Greg may believe that people come for the coffee, all right? And, uh, but that's, that's not it, or the Krispy Kreme, and that may be the case at places, but it's most not, certainly not among you. 
So if we're doing the street interview and we're asking people, uh, you know, what, why is church important to you? Why is it important to go? If in the street interview we went to the Apostle Paul, this is how he would answer in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 14, 15, 16. This may be how he'd answer, but this really gets to the heart of what's happening here. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how to, thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in the glory. I want to spend some time in this passage today talking about the wonder of this meeting in which Jesus has called. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance to meet once again, Lord. You have shown yourself faithful time and time again among this church family. And Lord, what we do today, it's, it's unique. And Lord, it's only possible because of the gospel. Lord, we are living out the results and the implications of Jesus Christ dying for us. Father, you are the one that gathers people. And Lord, I'm so grateful for the group that you have gathered here in Alpharetta, Lord, for my church family, where they have ministered to me. Father, you know my heart. You know that I, I consider it, Father, just the greatest of joys that you would allow me to be the pastor. But Lord, beyond that, I'm grateful to be a member with these people and meeting together, instructing the next generation and worshiping you. Lord, we come today to make much of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus, your name be the 
Jesus, the banner over us. That's wonderful. Before we get back to 1 Timothy, I'd like to take you to the last two verses of the book of Mark. last two verses of the book of Mark, I just, my heart um, is full every time that I read um, this passage. In Mark chapter number 16, in verse 19 um, and 20, it, it says this, And then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. He being Jesus, after the resurrection... After the 40 days, it says that he sends up in the heaven and he's on the right hand of God. But in this next verse, verse number 20, and it says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And so I, I remember when I first saw this and I was thinking, did I, did I miss something here? I thought I saw that Jesus had just ascended up into heaven and he's now sitting on the right hand. Now the next verse says, they went forth and him working uh, with them. If you're in the book of Mark and you turn to Acts chapter number one, we know that is the Acts of the Apostles, or maybe more appropriately say the Acts of the, the Holy Spirit working through the church. We are the them in which that the Lord is still working. That he's working in and through us uh, today. And then we get in Acts chapter number one, as they are waiting, um, as Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, in like manner, he will return. And the song that was just sung, we, we rejoice in that, knowing that our king will uh, return. And then they're gazing and then they're told that they need to go and be busy about the work, but they wait and they decide they're going to meet together um, in the upper room, knowing that there's no value, there's no reason for a church to move forward unless they are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then we get to Acts chapter number 2, verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. I think back over 17 years in our anniversary services. Think about the first um, service that we had. I didn't sleep the entire night. Last night I did sleep, so that's good. All right, that's progress, I believe. And um, some of the things that were happening, and everyone brings something different. Think about the early church, and as they look back and they think about their, their early meetings. They think about the time uh, that they met with Christ, and then they think about the resurrection, and then they think about meeting again, and the, and the memories they would have of the, the upper room together, and, and being in, in one accord, and doing the work in which God had given them. I have a story here for you. I know if you speak, a few of you in here speak a little Italian, so I apologize in advance, all right, for how I say these names. And the rest of you will probably just get hungry for Italian food, which is what happened when I read uh, the story. The great composer, Giacomo Puccini, uh, whose opera's number around the world was stricken with cancer in 1922, he was determined to fi- write his final opera, uh, but he was very sick, and, uh, but he persisted, and he said, if I do not finish my music, my students We'll finish it. That's where I believe we have a picture here of the opera room in, in Milan. And so in 1924, Puccini was taken to Brussels uh, to be operated on, and he died there two days after 
um, his surgery. Uh, but his students did finish his uh, final work. And in 1926, in the gala premiere that was held in Milan, um, underneath one of his favorite students, uh, they played um, uh, this opera. And um, it played, and as it was going, and then it just abruptly stopped. And then the conductor looked out among the people, and he said, Thus far, the master wrote, but he died. And they sat there quietly for a moment. Then he picked up the baton once again, and he cried out, but his disciples finished his work. And then he finished uh, the opera that was there. Our master died and was raised from the dead, ascended to his father, leaving us the most important task in the world, finishing his work to proclaim his great salvation among the nations. To do it, each one of us commit ourselves to a living relationship with our living God. And we commit ourselves to know and live by and defend God's word in truth. Unlike the composer, who did not have any choice, um, our Savior laid down his life as we've been studying in Luke. He headed to the, to the cross. He knew that where he was going and the time that was appointed unto him, and he left the commission and a command to a group of people there, the first church, and they've handed it to generation after generation, where Christ has given it to his word from generation after generation. We see an example of the first church in Colossians 1, uh, 5. It says in Colossians 1, 5 that they, um, as it was in all of the world, they bring forth uh, fruit. And then in Colossians 1, 28, it says, warning every man. Then on Romans chapter number 8, it says, your faith is spoken out throughout all the world. And so the churches of the first century took their commission as from the Lord, and they did as they were commanded, and they provide a wonderful example uh, for us as we look. This is the church for this generation. We have responsibilities to uh, a location. We have responsibility to a time, and that we continue in what's been going on for 2,000 years. Outside of the gospel, I don't believe there's anything that I enjoy speaking about more than the church. It is the result. It's an implication of it. So what exactly is the church? If you're a brand new Christian, some of you came Christians later in life, and so your first time reading through the Bible, you didn't know what was on the next page. And you have a curiosity about you, which every one of us, if you grew up in church, we need to have as we're turning the pages. And so you might read as in the Bible and you get the Matthew 16, 18. It says, upon this rock I will build my church, and so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you conclude that the church is something broad and comprised of vast numbers of members around the globe and over centuries of time. But then you get to Matthew eighteen seventeen, not long afterwards, and you see something where it says, and he says, tell it unto the church, which lets you know that the church is in fact a specific group of people located in one place. Maybe you turn the epistles, see with Apostle Paul, which way does he speak about the church? And he would say in one moment, come together in the church as an assembly. But then the next, he'll say something like, so some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets and teachers, and it seems something bigger than just a location and a group of people meeting in a place. In the New Testament, 114 uses of the word in which we have for church and ecclesia. A couple times, it's just used as an assembly or a gathering, a riot, all right, where people were speaking about people just got together in Acts 19, and it was the word being used about a riot or a group of people. Another time that you see it, it's Old Testament references. It's about a group of people that were gathered, a congregation, of 109 occurrences, we have the word church. Sometimes it's in a general use, like we've read in 1 Timothy, where it says, If I tarry long, I'll just behave thyself in the house of God. It's in a general use. Just like in 
if the media, it says that the liberal is waging war um, upon the family. That doesn't mean that it's some universal or invisible family, and, uh, but it's, of course, it's a family genet- um, generally that represent the idea of all families, right? Then you have a future use of it, this future use of assembly. We read in Ephesians 1, the way in which God can see that we are already, when we receive Christ, we're already seated among the heavenlies. He sees us in an assembled manner in which we don't. But the vast majority of those references, over 90 of them, are going to be a concrete location, like 1 Corinthians sixteen nineteen, where it says, the churches of Asia salute you. That's the most common way that you're going to see the word churches used in the Bible. Because when the Bible is, is writing, it's writing from the perspective that the Apostle Paul would be able to see or that I, you or I would be able to see, that tell somebody to go to church or that we do something inside of the church. But sometimes we get an opportunity to see from a heavenly perspective. We get to see the church as it will be assembled someday. And we can spend more time in that, but I want you to see in, every, in each reference of that, what we find is so important and what we believe is important for you to see here is a church, if a church never meets, it's not a church at all. Which means what we're doing right now is an important part of our identity. Assembling together and being together. I can't do it, but I remember my grandma showing me this is a church and here's a steeple and, and here's all the people. And so one of the things that you might have learned about that was a church is not a building. I do appreciate this wall and this wall and that back wall, as Stephen said, and I really do appreciate it. This place is special uh, to me because this is the place in which uh, my church family meet together. So this room is very important to me. As the meet, when we met in a warehouse, it became important to me. Now that we meet there, we don't meet there anymore, the building doesn't mean much to me, all right? They can do whatever they want in that building because when we left it, it just became another building. But as we meet here, this place becomes important. And you know, if maybe you don't know this, so I'll share it with you. We meet on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter number 20, it says, Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached and was ready to depart tomorrow. And then later on, Paul encourages them on the first day of the week to bring their offerings together. And then by the book of Revelation, there's a term that's used that says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, a reference to this day, the first day of the week. And so it's a wonderful thing. In Turkey, they were meeting on the first day of the week. The group of believers were, and somebody came in the day, and they said, who called this meeting? And Brady was able to tell them, Jesus did, and you can be part of it. And so it's important. Yes, it's important to know that a a church is not a building, but never don't underestimate the value of us being together, assembling. This is assembly. This is the church, and it should matter to us. So you could ask a lot of people. So some of you may be familiar with chat GPT, and you're probably wondering how long it was going to be before I brought it into a message, all right? Chat GPT, it's a type of Google. It's an artificial intelligence. And so instead of just asking, where's the best Chinese food in town, you can ask other questions and get it in paragraph form. I have a picture of it. Hope they'll be able to show you. But I asked chat GPT uh, where... Um, Ask the question, what is, why does the church gather weekly? All right. So I asked, I had a conversation with a robot a couple weeks ago, and I said, why does the church gather weekly? And some of the answers that it gave were worship. The primary reason for gathering weekly is worship for community. Another reason to gather weekly is to foster a sense of community. 
And I made a little note here that says, I could have been done better, all right? We don't foster a sense of community. We are not like a family. We are a family. We're an organism, not an organization. I know that sounds so small, but it's very important. And education, gathering weekly to provide opportunities for Christians to learn about the faith. It's happening in this room and in other rooms. Accountability, we provide a level of accountability for other Christians. And so it gave a pretty good answer um, here. So at this time, Zach, I would like for you to take minutes on this, all right? I would like to go have, have a motion and a second that you never replace the pastors of this church with artificial intelligence or robots, all right? Can I have a first? Thank you, coach. Second. All right. Thank you very much. All right. So someday I imagine our great grandkids are going to look at the minutes of this date and they're either going to say one or two things. They were really ahead of the day making this decision or they were crazy. All right. And so I don't would want to be replaced by artificial intelligence or, or a robot, but it was a general understanding. It gave good answers of the reasons that we meet um, as, a, um, as a church. But let's let the Word of God answer it, which is what we should be known for, is letting the Word of God answer questions like this. Why is it so important uh, that we meet together? Who we are determines why and what we do. Who we are determines why and what we do. We don't go to church to worship, but we worship because we are the church. We are the church. First Timothy chapter number three, verse fourteen through sixteen. I read earlier, but it says, "I hope to come to you uh, shortly. Know how thou oughtest behave in the house of God, church of living God, pillar and ground of the truth." And in this next verse, number six, verse number sixteen, it talks about how God was made manifest in the flesh, how Jesus is the incarnation, the manifestation of God. And knowing Christ, we know our Creator. We know God. They said, we wish you could just pull back the clouds. One of the disciples said, I just want to see God. He says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And we're told that this verse 16 comes from a hymn that the early church would have sung. And it's just so full of doctrinally rich truth. Because in our singing, we are learning and growing about the goodness of our God. This mystery of godliness refers to the incarnation of God. That he came here, lived the perfect life. And then we have... Six lines of just rich theological truth as you look at it. It says that he was manifest in the flesh. This speaks of the pre-existence of Jesus, that he is eternal. He wasn't created in the manger, but he's eternal, coexistent God. Then it says justified in the spirit. The fact that God didn't raise Jesus from the dead proves that he is the righteous one, that that he was raised again, and proving that he is God. Seen of angels, at his birth he was proclaimed, and then at his, as his resurrection, as we continue through the book of Luke, we will see that. Preached among the Gentiles. Jesus gave a commission to go into the Gentiles and to all uh, the nations, and that's what was happening at that time. Believed on in the world. Belief is the means in which this gift is received, and it received up in the glory, where he is sitting on the right hand, waiting to return in the manner that it was taken. The six lines right there in verse number 16 that is just so rich about truth that we all know and that we rejoice in. So much of the truth we sing, you could just draw a line to one of those statements in that verse because it's something in which we, we hold up. And that's what it says in verse number 15. The church reveals Christ to this world. If I tarry long, know how they'll behave in the house 
of God. So the house of God, we're not just a collection of individuals who happen to meet at the same spot every week, the worship instruction, but we have become the family of God. This implies a relationship that he has made. We are the house of God. Living stones have been brought together, and he was doing an incredible work. I read a story about a missionary in, in Papua New Guinea, and he was on one side of the island, and he said, hey, I want to travel to the other side of the island. What is the best way to do this? And the man speaking, the, the local man, he said, well, if we go this way, then we can see some of my friends that work out in the, near the marina, and we can talk to them. But if we then, if we go through the village... Then I could see some of my family and we can talk to them. But there's another way in which we could go and we could see some friends I haven't seen in a long way. And the man said, just tell me what is the best way. And he said, well, it depends what people do you want to see. And he realized that he was thinking best, which was the quickest way. And this man in Papua New Guinea was saying, what was the way in which I would develop the most important and meaningful relationships was the best way. And that's what God has done. God has designed the church in such a way that the best way, it may be a slow way, but it's a way in which we have meaningful relationships. I can make some announcements, guys. We can make all day long, and you don't seem to remember them, okay? We announced a couple weeks ago there was no Sunday school, no life groups today. None of y'all showed up at 930, all right? It was like, we got that one, all right? You slept in a little bit. But some, the few that did show up a little bit later, we had conversations. David Rackley showed me a journal that he had 10 years ago that he's been filling with Scripture and that the one that he has now that he's filling with Scripture. That was wonderful. That was a moment in which I was stirred in my heart that I was provoked to good works, uh, that I saw how God had changed the life of my friend David Rackley there. That's the best way. If it wasn't the quickest way to the donuts this morning, David, it was certainly the best way for me and you to walk there. It's a house of God. It's wonderful. Another thing, the church, of that speaks of our relationships one to another. The church of the living God, that focuses on our relationship with God. We're an assembly of people who have been called out not just from sin, but unto God. He is the one who has called this meeting. We are distinct from this world. And then third expression here is the pillar and ground of the truth. All those truths that are read in verse number 16, all of those truths are absolute, but they're completely independent of us. He did all the work. He is the one who has died. He is the one who offered himself a ransom for this entire world. And he is the gospel we share. That truth is absolute, but it's independent of us. And all we can ever do is just hold it up for this world to see. As I said, the church is a distinct event. That's why in verse number 14, he says, I hope to come to you shortly. At other times in 1 Corinthians, he'll say, yet in, in the church, you'd speak of, about in that manner. In the, the foyer, maybe with your kids, you may make the joke and you'd say, hey, don't lie, we're in church, right? We're inside of the building. We can't lie here in the church. It's a little bit better in the parking lot. It's okay when you get the Kroger, all right? About three-mile radius around this place that we're not supposed to, uh, to do anything. And so all of us say, well, we know that's not true. God's just aware of us when we're at home as we are here. But I want you to see that there's something very special about being gathered together. Throughout the Bible, it's very important. It's very special that what we're doing is a distinct event. Young couples in here starting to raise a family, one of the most countercultural things you can do is become an engaged member of a faithful local church. This is a distinct thing that we're doing. 
Then we're told that we should all meet together. In Acts chapter number 5, the church had grown tremendously. As they go around preaching the resurrection in Acts 5.12, it says, And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. Not in one vehicle, if you drive a Honda Accord, all right? But they were all in agreement, all right? They were all in unity there in, under Solom, in Solomon's porch. The church had gathered together in one place. It was distinct from this world, and we should meet together in one place. And then the reason we must meet is because there's things that are given to us. We're told to teach one another, admonish one another, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, reading scripture publicly, encouraging one another. And we all saw the great challenges a few years ago, to years ago, to live out our lives together as a church that wasn't able to get together. It just didn't function because that wasn't the way that it had designed. There was an emphasis on the assembly. What we're doing right now is highly important. He goes on to tells us that we grow and we, we make decisions together as a church. First Timothy 3.15 talks about how we behave ourselves in the house of God and learning how that is to happen. Sanctification in our lives is a community project. Sanctification is a community project. We should consider one another, Hebrews says. We consider one another. We think about one another. We provoke one another unto love and the good works. We exhort one another we should do that daily. And so the spiritual discipline such as church attendance, it does not make you more precious to God, but it's making God more precious to us. Our attendance today is not to be any, the love more by God. He saw you when you're an enemy of him. He saw you when you did not, were not aware of him. He saw you when you had no thoughts of him, and he loved you. But what it does when we come together is it makes him more precious to us. That moment when we were singing about a good and gracious king, my heart was filled to a place. It's so good, it's, it should happen together. When my wife and kids are, are gone and they're traveling this by me, and some of you other men may relate, you have a big family. If I go eat by myself at Mackey Sushi, um, I can eat pretty cheap and I can eat whatever I want compared to my family, right? And so it's nice you go out by yourself and you're like, hey, this is a pretty cheap meal because there's not five other people eating here with me, three teenagers, all right? And it's, it's nice sometimes uh, to have a, a meal like that, but it's not the same as our family getting together and sitting at the table. I have to eat when we're separate or I won't live, but there's something special about being together. I have sung that song, A Good and Gracious King, probably a little more off key when you're not around, all right? And a little bit louder, and I loved it. But there's something unique and special about when God's people gather together. And so we come here, and we don't, we don't become more precious to God. But as we worship together, he becomes more precious to us, and we grow together. The Bible tells us that we bring things before the church, and um, we make decisions together. There's an authority that God has given us as a church that he has not given to any individual member of the church. Here together, we meet, we grow, we make decisions and we move forward. We make decisions about not replacing me, Greg, or Bo with robots. We make big decisions like that, all right? We make other decisions. We come to the Lord's table. We share Christ. We, um, we see baptisms, as there's several baptisms planned over the next couple weeks. And so before I pray, and I'm going to give you a moment, and I'm just going to give you a moment to pray in your seat, and pray that you'll communicate with the Lord. We will pray to the Lord, and you'll, you'll express to Him your love for what he has done, your love for an opportunity. 
I don't have to tell you this. You get told this all the time. There's many parts of the world that cannot fill a room like this with the amount of believers in that town or city or wherever it may be. But you've been blessed with, this, with these relationships. You've been blessed with people that want to teach your kids the same things that you're installing into their, instilling into their lives um, as well. It's a wonderful thing. And so what makes assembly such an important part of our identity? In conclusion, I'm going to give two things. One is the assembly makes the church, it's visible to itself. We've been asked afterwards that we're going to go outside and it's freezing out there, right? And that we're going to take a picture together real quick and then come in and have fried chicken because one of the ordinances of a Baptist church, right? Uh, that's one of the things that we do. We'll have a meal together and then um, maybe share some testimonies afternoon and continue in this verse just for a few minutes. Um, but we, we become visible together. It's special. If you try to, you want, you have your, you want to have a family picture together. When Mark and Amy come in from the mission field, it's always a big deal to my wife that we get together to get a family picture because it's just important to us to all be standing there for that moment. Just remember, this is who we are. This is, we, it's so important that we need to do this weekly. And as the, Lord, as the Lord's going to return, we should do it even more often. And so the assembly makes the church visible to itself. But not only does the assembly make the church visible to itself, but it makes the church visible to the world. Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that the now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. God wants his people to be known and to be marked off. He wants a line between the church and the world. So there's some ways in which that happens. Through baptism, we identify with the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We identify with our union in Christ and death and resurrection. On April the 2nd, In the evening when we'll meet for the Lord's Supper, we'll proclaim the death of Christ and we'll say that we are now in Christ as believers. That's what's called this meeting together. He is the one that gathers people. Those that are in Christ come together with others that are now in Christ. And so there is no more urgent issue in all of your life than to ask yourself in in your soul and in your heart, am I included in Christ? And may this be the place that you feel at home for those that are in Christ. And those that um, aren't in Christ, may this always be a place that seems to be out of step with the rest of the world, but may be a place of people that it says there's something unique and special about that place. There's something about the way those people worship that is unique and distinct, and I want to know about it. God's been so good to us. There's many wonderful churches meeting all throughout this county, all throughout the state. But we, have, we are blessed. This is a church family in which he has put you and I in together. And he's the one who's called this meeting. And he's done it in such a wonderful way. And my heart is just so very grateful for what he has done. It is a gift he has given all of us until he returns. That this is the way in which we get to serve and worship him. And I'm so very grateful.